Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And if you want to learn more about our church, look us up on Facebook or our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. I want to share a funny story told by Ravi Zacharias, a preacher and Christian apologist and a tremendous servant of the Lord who has just recently passed away. Ravi Zacharias was in Vietnam and he was sharing the gospel in a small village and he felt a particular difference between himself and those in the audience. He was trying to reach out to them, but the barrier just seemed to be quite wide here. And so he shared a simple story that crossed over the language and cultural barriers that he was he was facing. And the story goes like this. There was a man who sat under a tree and he was feeling bold in his intelligence and engineering skill. And he began to speak to God and said, God, you're not very smart. When I look at this world that you have made, I can see how this huge tree is growing little nuts, and this small plant is growing huge watermelons. It just does not add up. Big tree, small nut. Small plant, big watermelon. As the man was complaining to God about God's creative mistake, suddenly a nut fell out of the tree and hit him on the head, and the man said this, Thank God that wasn't a watermelon. The crowd that Ravi was trying to connect with laughed meaningfully. They understood what he was saying. We humans have a powerful ability to identify hunger in our hearts and in our lives. We also have a powerful ability to administer the wrong conclusion. We see with our eyes, we learn information, but we may or may not be able to rightly understand what we see or to understand what we're seeing is worth. Right now, we are living in a time where people are crying out for peace. And it seems like peace is missing from our nation and from the world. Everywhere we look, there's turmoil and frustration and fear. That seems to be a a genuine, uh, there seems to be no genuine security or comfort and progress for humanity. We see the problem. We hunger for peace. And that hunger is greater than ever before. But I suspect, more likely than not, most of us, when we look at what is wrong in our nation and in our world and in our lives, we're proclaiming that it makes no sense that the big trees make little nuts and the small plants make big watermelons. Here we are. We're assessing the information and we're not sure what to make of it. So I want to share a text with you today from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. In this text, we are told that God knows our predict predicament. He knows it far better than we do. He knows what we need far better than we do, and he has administered the solution far better than we ever could. This text promises us that if we have faith in Jesus, we can have peace with God. God also gives us a prescription for how we take the peace of God into our lives, and that prescription is this, that we rejoice in the future promises as good as they are, And that we are to rejoice in our present circumstances, however difficult they may be. I want to read the scripture, the scripture today from the English Standard Translation, because I feel it captures very clearly the double command to rejoice. That command to rejoice in future promise and to rejoice in our present struggle. Let's begin in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice 
in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's stop there. That's verse 5. So we have two promises, peace with God and the grace of God. First, I want to talk about that peace of God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You find that in verse 1. Unless you've lived under a rock for these last three months, you have received a firm reminder that peace here on earth is fleeting. Our best efforts, our strongest actions of goodwill can be blown away far faster than any of us ever thought possible. The world is full of pain. Our efforts cannot produce real peace. Positive attitude cannot produce real peace. Pretending there is no problem certainly does not produce peace. Peace is only produced by King Jesus. All other sources of peace are artificial and temporary. Peace is something that is universally desired but rarely achieved. We want peace in our families, in our workplace, in our communities, in our country. We all want peace, yet peace sustained is nearly impossible to hang on to. Something always goes wrong. Someone gets sick, a job is lost, trust is broken. As long as we live on this side of heaven, there will be conflict. There is no cure that will remove struggle from your life. But we can have peace with God. Now, without Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we find ourselves in a terrifying conflict with God. We are at odds with Him, and we cannot win. There will not be peace if we do not have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. God, however, has reached out to us to make reconciliation on our behalf through Jesus, so we can be guaranteed peace with Him. The other side of peace with God is this. Now we can face the struggles of the world with confidence, a confidence that we could not face it with before. As Christians, we have peace in the most important conflict in all of creation between us and God. It's a quote by an unknown uh, speaker. It says, Safety consists not in the absence of danger, but in the presence of God. Safety consists not in the absence of danger, but it consists in the presence of God. Do you have peace with God? You need to know that today you can have peace with God if you would put your belief and your trust in Jesus Christ. So the first promise we receive is that we can have peace with God. The second is that we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Eugene Peterson, uh, pastor, professor, theologian, uh, and he's most noted for his translation of the Bible uh, into everyday English, he calls it the message renders verse 2 of our passage in a, in a lovely way. Uh, Eugene Peterson grew up in Montana in big sky country, and you can hear it in his version of verse 2. And it reads like this, We find ourselves standing where we'd always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall, shouting our praise. Eugene Peterson captures well the massive size of God's grace. It stretches far and wide. Normally, when I speak about grace, I highlight that it is unmerited favor, that it is a gift undeserved. You could take the letters of grace and say this, that grace is great riches at Christ's expense. However, 
Paul is describing something different about grace. He's describing its size, its sphere, that we are inside this massive grace, enveloped inside of it. John Stott tells us this, Justified believers enjoy a blessing far greater than a periodic approach to God or an occasional audience with the king. We are privileged to live in the temple and in the palace. This peace with God and the grace of God leads us to a command to rejoice. Hiram Smith says this, Your behavior is a reflection of what you truly believe. And here in the letter to the Romans, Paul is telling us that our belief in God must result in rejoicing. Rejoicing is the, we rejoice in the promised future hope that we have in God. And perhaps more difficultly, we rejoice in our current sufferings. Where to rejoice? In what are we to rejoice? Well, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And we rejoice in our sufferings. Those are the two things. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God and we rejoice in our sufferings. So let's talk about that first one. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This future hope in the glory of God is different from everyday hopes. We often say things like, well, I hope the weather holds and we hope for all kinds of things, but they may or may not turn out. This hope is different. It is one that is guaranteed. We have hope in the glory of God. It's a guaranteed thing that one day we will see the glory of God. That's what is meant here. We trust that one day God's glory will be fully displayed for all of us to see. Right now God is hidden. At least we can't see the fullness of his glory. His presence is veiled. Firstly, because we could not handle it fully as we are right now, but secondly, because he has planned for us to walk by faith right now, trusting in what will come. So we have hope that this will be filled, fulfilled and that totally one day the glory of God will be revealed. I would guess that we do not often think too deeply on this. We're more concerned about ourselves and our well-being and we never, we will never be more complete than when we stand in the total revealed glory of God. I want to say that again, because we, again, we often are more concerned about ourselves and our well-being the current moment, but we will never be more complete than when we stand in the total revealed glory of God. Are you looking forward to this? So we are to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we are also to rejoice in the glory of God, uh, not just in the glory of God, but also in our current sufferings. Paul pulls us out of the heavens, that big grace that we are enveloped inside of as believers, and then he plants us back into the reality of this earth and bluntly says, life here is hard. You are going to struggle. So he says, rejoice in your sufferings. Why on earth are we being told to rejoice in suffering? Suffering isn't fun. It's painful. It's not what we want to have in our lives right now. Most of us, when we suffer, the first thought we have is, how do I make it stop? Well, Paul is not saying to ignore your sufferings. He's not saying to put on a smile and make your sufferings go away just by pretending they're gone. He says, rejoice. And he tells us to rejoice so that we do not lose sight of, a God, of God and get stuck in our suffering. Let me say that again. Paul tells us to rejoice for many reasons. And the first one is this. We rejoice so that we do not lose sight of God and get stuck in our suffering. 
Have you ever spent so much time focusing on the problem that you lose sight of your goal? Do you spend so much time looking at what is wrong that you forget what is good and right? When you and I rejoice in our sufferings, we are saying that we're going to intentionally look for what is good and right in every situation we find ourselves in. When we do this, we open ourselves up to what God is up to. When I was a teenager and involved in the Boy Scouts, I had the privilege to go on a high-adventure backpacking trip in the Rocky Mountains of New Mexico. It was a beautiful trip, and it was also a difficult trip. We carried all of our own equipment and supplies on our backs. The entire trip was about an 80-mile hike through the mountains. And each night, our leader led us through a little game called Thorns and Roses. A thorn was our telling of any struggle or problem we faced that day. And a rose was our telling of something wonderful that we experienced. And the only rule our leader had was that if you'd shared a thorn, you had to share a rose as well. Because the leader didn't want us to pile up the thorns, like food that was cooked poorly, or blisters on our feet, or a wrong turn on the hike. So when you start piling up the thorns, you soon find yourself stuck. What have you been piling up lately? Thorns or roses? Our world is full of thorns right now. Are you piling them up? Are you stuck in them? Or are you looking for the roses? Are you rejoicing so that you can spot what God is doing? The second reason I think that Paul encourages us to rejoice in our suffering is that so we rejoice in our suffering so that we will trust in God's provision. Another quote uh, by an unknown speaker says, A pessimist can hardly wait for the future so he can look back with regret. By rejoicing in our sufferings, we're putting our hope not in how we feel in the moment, how we feel it might even be failing, but we put our hope in the promise that God has something better for us. Trusting in God's provision also means that we realize that we do not have to solve the struggle ourselves. We have to look out for how God has planned to solve the struggle that we find ourselves in. Third thing I think Paul wants us to think about when we are rejoicing in our struggles is we rejoice in our struggles so that we see opportunity instead of obstacle. When you face a struggle, do you see a problem or an opportunity? Now, I don't want to diminish the pain that you're experiencing, uh, an injustice that you are, have been put on you, or um, whatever struggle you are in. I don't want to diminish that because I know that our pains and our struggles and the difficulties of life that we face are very real. I don't want to try to just wish those away and, and, and make out that they aren't a real thing you're facing. But there is a transformational shift that we can make in our lives if we ask ourselves, how will God cause me to grow through this struggle instead of how will I get through this struggle? Take a moment and think of whatever pain or struggle you're facing right now. And again, I don't want to trivialize that pain you feel or the wrong you might be facing. But have you only asked yourself, how am I going to get through this? When will it be done? When will the pain end? Or would you be willing to dare to ask God, God, how are you going to grow me through this struggle? That's a big question. That's a challenge to God. And when we do this, we open ourselves up for what God wants to do in our lives. 
We talked about grace earlier, and I think God gives us not just grace, but transformational grace. Not just grace to get through the day, but a grace to grow through the day. In Romans, Paul writes of a chain of growth that God wants to lead you through. Suffering into endurance. Endurance into character. Character into hope. And this time, the hope is that the love of God has been poured out on us. We can rejoice in struggle because God's love is unfading, poured out on us by the Holy Spirit. We never suffer alone. The Spirit is with us. In our suffering, God is about to do something new if we will let him. And this leads me to, believe, to, be, to what I believe to be one of the most powerful reasons to rejoice in our suffering. By rejoicing to God in my suffering, I give God permission to do something new in me. When I rejoice to God, I am declaring that my world is bigger than what I see and feel right now. That I want to let God in, or at least that I, or even bigger and better, that I want to leave my little world and enter God's big plans. And let Him bring about a newness in me. Are you willing to let God do something new? By rejoicing, I give permission. And when you rejoice to God in the middle of your struggle, it's giving permission for Him to do something new in you. Will you let Him do that? Now I want to come back to our text in Romans chapter 5 because I said I wanted to read verses 1 through 8 and I've only read through verse 5 right now. Verses 6 through 8 tell us that new work that God has done for us and wants to do on us. That transformation, it's one so many of you as Christians know, but I think we count it as something small when it is a complete and total transformation of a person, of us. Beginning in verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul describes to us the ultimate expression of God's love. The essence of love is, I think, giving. If you say you love someone, you should ask yourself what you bring into their life. What do you give them? Perhaps you will find that you've not been very loving because you're more concerned about what you get. God has given us the greatest gift, his own son. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. His love is deep and wide and strong. He shows us that love by giving us himself. Now there's another truth about love and gifts. It is this. The more the gift costs, the less the recipient deserves it. Maybe you want to disagree with me on that one. But I would say that God giving his son for us, that Christ died for us, 
That is the costliest gift I can possibly imagine. There is no way on earth we deserve God's gift of love, but he gave it. We can rejoice in sufferings because no amount of suffering can erase this gift. Do you believe that? We rejoice in our sufferings because no amount of suffering can erase God's gift. So no doubt, each one of us are facing struggles. Are you overwhelmed? I invite you to receive the peace of God. I also want to challenge you to rejoice. Rejoice in the future promise of the glory of God, but also rejoice in your current struggles. I want to take and invite you in this moment, right now where you're at, if you have felt like you are stuck in life and overwhelmed, take a moment and praise God. Invite Him to take your struggle and to begin to do something new in you. Take a moment today, right where you're at, and rejoice. Rejoice to God in your struggles, whatever they are. Let Him do something new. Let us pray. O Lord, from whom all good proceeds, help us to be a rejoicing people. It's been difficult lately. We're losing sight of the bigger plan. We're getting caught up in our little worlds. Help us to rejoice knowing that nothing we have pressed upon us now invalidates your promise to us. I pray this in Jesus' name, the one who lives and reigns with you, Lord. And I ask this of the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to rejoice in the future promise and our suffering and struggle right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.